0: Hey everybody, so um, this picture that is on the screen is actually a picture of a display that is currently downstairs in the lobby. And uh, if you can't uh, quite make that out from your vantage point at home, um, it's got some maps on it, it's got some road signs and it's downstairs and it's now on the screen here Uh, as a reminder to us, a reminder that we're on a journey, and a journey that we're describing in this series as Forward Together. We began this series back in uh, June of 2021. And before that, I think it was in May, Pastor Dave shared some insights uh, by way of video about Forward Together. And uh, this was before we knew we were gonna be in this series. And uh, Dave really inspired the idea for this series in some of the comments that he made. And let's just hear from Dave in some of those comments. This is about eight months ago. You remember Forward Together? That was the campaign title for our building project? Let's pull that out and use it again. Forward Together. Let's cling to that. Let's cling to each other. Cling to the the Lord's work here at Sable. On one hand, very difficult days. On the other hand, exciting days filled with hope and anticipation of what's coming. Let's go forward together. Are you with me? And when I heard uh, Pastor Dave say that, in my heart, I was like, yeah, Dave, we're with you. Let's go forward together. But uh, where are we headed? What's the destination? Well, that's where uh, John comes in uh, really handy here for some of the things that John says in 1 John chapter 4 help us uh, with this whole thing of destination. John says, We know how much God loves us. We know. Gnosko is the Greek word. We know. It's to know by experience. This isn't theory. This isn't. Hmm, this isn't just head knowledge. John is saying we've personally experienced how much God loves us to the extent that we have put our trust in his love. God is love and all who live in love live in God. Well, doesn't that make sense, right? If God is love, you live in God, you live in love. If you live in love, you're living in God because God is love and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. Our love grows more perfect. Now, that's, uh, that's an interesting phrase. That's an unusual phrase because we kind of tend to think of things as either being perfect or imperfect. We really don't have a concept of how something can become more perfect. But the word that John uses here that is translated perfect is the word... Uh, Telos, telos in Greek, and telos is a word that uh, has to do not so much with perfect versus imperfect, but it's really a word that speaks of destination, of of uh, of choosing and then arriving at the destination of your choice. For instance, if uh, if you were heading off to, um, if you were taking a road trip by car to um, Disneyland in Florida, let's say. And so if you left from Sable Beach or wherever it is that you'd be leaving from, every kilometer that you drive closer to uh, Disneyland in Florida, you are becoming more telos. You're becoming closer and closer to the destination. And so eventually on your trip, you'd cross over the border into the States and maybe you'd get on I-75 and you'd head um, down I-75. Well, every mile marker that you pass on I seventy five, you're becoming more tell us. You're becoming closer and closer to that destination, which is Disneyland in Florida. And eventually, you would cross the state line into Florida, and uh, you'd begin to see signs for Disneyland. You follow those signs. You're becoming more tell us. You're becoming closer and closer and closer to that ultimate final destination. And then, you know, at some point, you see the the outline of the. Uh, of the tower of that castle that's in the magic kingdom and, and uh, you're, you're even closer, more telos, and you pull into that parking lot and you get out of your car and you go through the gate and you're there. You're there, you've reached your destination. That's perfect telos. And so John is saying in, um, in this verse that our love grows more perfect. Our love, our agape uh, grows more perfect. And what he's saying is that as we live in God and as God lives in us, our love grows more like his love. We grow in our capacity to love like God. We grow in our capacity to love like Jesus loves. And so for our journey forward together, uh, love is Uh, both the destination for our journey, and it's also the way that we travel. Love is both the end and the means. And uh, then John says, uh, this last verse, this is actually the 18th verse. John says, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. You know, that's a verse that I think we need to uh, grab onto with both hands and not let go in this time in which we're living so as our uh, as our love grows more tell us as we increase in our capacity to love like god well what uh, john says as we increase in that capacity as our love grows more tell us more and more fear and anxiety is expelled uh, from our lives and you know if we're honest i think probably all of us have experienced at least some degree of fear or anxiety uh, in these last couple of years. For sure, we've experienced the uncertainty and the instability that comes with living through COVID. And you know, um, it's been almost two years now, right? And uh, what I'm finding now is that there are people, there are families, kids, for whom this is the toughest time in the whole COVID Uh, journey. This is the toughest time they're experiencing, the most difficult time now, two years in. And I think, you know, I think there's something, there's kind of a cumulative effect with all the stops and starts and with all the disruptions and with all the uncertainty and with isolation and with um, lots of bad news and and fear and anxiety and so on. Uh, I think for many people, there's this sense that they're just exhausted and that they're just kind of barely hanging on. Well, if that's you, I don't want you in any way to feel like John's words are, um, are shaming you or is some kind of correction for you. Rather, what I want us to see in this is the encouragement and to see the hope. This phrase um, expels all fear, or maybe your translation says casts out or, or um, drives out all fear. It's an interesting phrase. It's, it's a phrase that is used of Jesus in the Gospels when he casts out uh, unclean spirits from people. And so, really, what John is saying to us is that we can have an exorcism of fear and anxiety from our lives as the love of God fills us up, as our love grows more telos, as our capacity to love becomes more like Jesus' love. And so fear and anxiety are expelled from our lives, not because we try really, really hard to be brave. Fear and anxiety are expelled from our lives, not because we somehow have learned to downplay the danger or to just somehow cope uh, with the challenges. No, fear and anxiety are expelled as we are filled up with the love of God, as our capacity to love looks more like God's love, John goes on in this passage, we won't uh, take time to look at the verses, but he goes on to say that when we feel fear, when we feel anxiety, it's because our focus is inward. It's because our focus is on ourselves. But as the love of God becomes more telos in us, more fully realized in our lives, as our capacity to love grows become more like the way Jesus loves, what it does is it it brings freedom to us. It frees us to be able to focus on others. One of the most powerful ways to become free of anxiety and to become free of fear is to focus on another, to love another, to serve another. And these are, um, you know, these are days, two years into COVID, these are days where Not only do we want to, but we absolutely need to uh, find creative ways to express love to others and to serve others and to have our focus on others. Uh, You would have heard Jenna in the uh, weekly update talk about random acts. And uh, what this is about is uh, this coming Friday, January 21st, uh, we want to challenge all of us, myself included, to think of someone else, to think of somebody that we can express worth to, that we can ascribe worth to, which is love. That we can do that through, through an act of kindness, through a random act of kindness. And we're identifying this coming Friday as a, as a day to intentionally do that. And so as an individual or as a couple or as a family or as a small group or a group of friends, to, to think of somebody that you can, just engage with in a, in a random act of kindness doesn't have to be a big thing. In fact, you know, I think I think the, the kingdom grows in just multiple small acts of kindness. Jesus said that the kingdom is like mustard seed, that there's a, a bigness in the smallness of, of things. And maybe, you know, maybe it's baking some cookies and taking them to a neighbor. Maybe it's... Uh, Maybe it's shoveling a sidewalk for somebody. Maybe, maybe it's it's paying for the car behind you in the drive-through at uh, Tim's. Whatever it is, we want to identify Friday as a as a day to specifically and intentionally get our focus on someone else and just exhibit some random acts of kindness as an expression of love. And uh, then we want to tell the stories. You know, I think Jenna would have mentioned. Uh, or at least uh, the the website or the email address rather stories at sobblechurch.ca stories at sobelchurch.ca. we want we want you to be able to tell these stories to say here you know here's what I did or maybe maybe you can um, have a picture of something or we don't want to embarrass anybody we don't need to name names but we just want to tell some good news stories I don't know about you but I'm like. I'm pretty tired of bad news. It seems like it's been two years of bad news. Let's tell some good news, all right? And you know what? I think this whole thing is—I um, know it's—it's it's just a baby step. It's just—it's just a baby step in a, in a, in a great direction. Um, but I really think it's—I think it really kind of captures the heart of God. It certainly captures our. Um, you know, our our vision statement here at Sobel to know God, become like Jesus, and change our world because to know God is to know love. God is love. And Jesus is the exact representation of the God who is love. Jesus is love personified. And as we grow in our capacity to love like Jesus, well, that's how we change our world. And isn't that the destination, right? That we... Love more and more like Jesus loves. That's where we're heading. Jesus himself said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you love one another. By this, by this love, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Well, in this series, we are uh, exploring love and we're using kind of Paul's classic chapter on love, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 as our, uh, as our text. And I wanna read uh, some of that right now. This is the first uh, four verses of 1 Corinthians 13. Paul says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I'd only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, just Irritating religious noise without love. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing, not a zero. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but If I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is the one thing that makes everything else we do worthwhile. And love is the one thing without which everything else we do is worthless. It's just noise, it's just religion. We've really got to get great at love. Because if we don't get great at love, it really doesn't matter what else we do get great at because Paul says it's, it's just noise, it's just religion, it's really worthless. And Paul goes on to say love is not jealous or boastful or proud. And so last week we took kind of a big picture look at this idea that love is not jealous, it doesn't envy, love does not envy. And we talked last week about God's uh, creative design, his uh, beautiful creative plan How God's plan was to fill you up with his love in his life and that you would reflect that love back to him in your worship and from a place of fullness then spill over with that love to to all others. And as you live in fullness, all of your core longings for worth and significance and value and purpose and meaning, your core longings to feel Unconditional love, all perfectly and fully met by God. It's a beautiful, beautiful design, but we know what happens. Sin entered into the human experience. We read about that in Genesis chapter three, and sin blocks the flow of the life and the love of God from getting into us. But we still have these core longings. We still have these needs for worth and significance and purpose, etc. But if those needs are not being met by God, then we have no choice but to look to something else or to someone else in order to get those needs met. We become like vacuums, sucking up little scraps of worth and bits of significance and morsels of meaning. And we compete with others because everybody's doing the same thing. We're all competing for morsels and scraps of worth and there's only so many scraps to go around. And so not everybody can win in this competition. And so rather than living from a place of fullness, we live from a place of emptiness. Rather than living from a place of celebration, we live from a place of desperation. Rather than living in a mode that says, I wanna overflow, we live in a mode that says, I wanna get. We compete, and when we're competing with others for those morsels and scraps of worth, well, if we're living from a place of envious, of of emptiness, rather, we have no choice but to compete. And when we compete, it is inevitable that we will experience envy. Because, you know, I'm gonna be going for that morsel of worth over there, and somebody else is going for that very same morsel of worth, and they get it, and I don't. I lose that competition, and then, I'm resentful or I'm mad. You know, that's envy. That's jealousy. And Paul says it's the opposite of love. And so we ended off last week um, saying three things about envy. First of all, we said envy blocks the flow of love, and it does. You cannot love someone and envy them at the same time. You cannot ascribe worth to someone, which is what love is. You cannot ascribe worth to someone while at the same time competing with them for worth. Love is blocked by envy. Envy is like a cork in the flow of love. Secondly, envy gets in the bones and it makes you miserable. Solomon said that, well, envy is like cancer in the bones. It just kind of rots you from the from the inside and it makes you absolutely miserable. And then the third thing we said last week is that envy can lead to other sins. And if you uh, happen to watch last week, I talked a little bit about uh, my grade three envy of Ken Dryden and how that led me to begin to gossip about Ken Dryden. Envy led to gossip and gossip is often about envy actually. And you know, the Bible says quite a few things about gossip and none of it is good. None of it is good. So envy can lead to other sins. We think about King David and how envy led to lying and led to uh, adultery and even led to murder. Envy leads to other sins. So how can we be free of envy? Well, really, Paul gives us the ultimate answer in 1 Corinthians 13. It's to be filled with love. You know, the, the answer that I think we would, first of all, think, well, the way to become free of envy, I got to try really, really hard not to be envious. Well, that doesn't work. Paul says, you want to be free of envy, be filled with love because love does not envy. So that's that's kind of the ultimate answer. Uh, and what we want to do with that in mind is we want to touch on three points today uh, that can help us um, kind of in this uh, quest to be free of envy. Point number one is this, quit the competition. Quit the competition. To be free from envy, you've got to give up on the competition game. Just, just quit. Just opt out. You see, the world calls winning at the competition game, the, girl, the, the world calls that life. When you win at the competition, when you get the scraps and morsels you're going after, the world calls that life. That's really living. That's, that's the good life. Mark Twain, um, who is a rather cynical Uh, person, I suppose, but was a very uh, astute uh, student of human behavior, um, had this to say. He said, man will do many things to get himself loved. He will do all things to get himself envied. In other words, Twain is saying that man's highest aspiration is to become envied by others. And I think You know, I think that's largely true. The only way to be free from envy is to opt out of this competition for worth, to just say, I quit. And again, the world calls that life. Winning at the competition for scraps and morsels, the world calls that life. The Bible actually calls that death. And the way to get real life is to die to the life of, That the world calls life. Even as that was coming out of my mouth, that sounded really uh, clumsy. Thankfully, Jesus uh, says it much better than I ever could. And this is in Matthew uh, chapter 10 and verse 39. These are the words of Jesus. If you cling to your life, if you cling to the life that the world says is life, that life that comes from winning in the competition, that comes from uh, winning the scraps and the morsels, if you cling to that life that the world calls life, you will lose it, Jesus says. But if you give up your life that the world calls life, for me, then you'll find it. You'll find real life And so Jesus is helping us to see that the the way to freedom from envy is to die, die to the life that the world calls life, die to that life that the world calls life because we're winning in the competition, die to it. You know, I've never ever seen a corpse envy anybody, right? When you're dead, you're free from all of that. And so Jesus kind of is saying to us, you know, die, to that game of scratching and clawing after morsels of worth. Die to the aspiration of wanting to be defined by what you can get and what you can accumulate and possess and by how much recognition you get and by how much people notice you. Die to that, Jesus said. Ask yourself the question, aren't I getting tired of this? Because the game is exhausting. The competition game is absolutely exhausting, and it's nonstop, and it never, ever satisfies. Even when you're winning at it, it doesn't satisfy. Even when you're winning at it, you're losing at it because, you know, that morsel of worth that you get isn't unconditional worth. And that's what you're really longing for. That morsel of worth that you get isn't Permanent worth, and that's what you're really longing for. And that morsel of worth that you get isn't full worth, and that's really what you're longing for. But you know, you just keep thinking that if you can, you can keep striving and keep getting and keep winning and keep comp- competing and, and keep getting um, some morsels of worth that you'll you'll eventually get full. But you won't. You won't. And aren't you tired of that competition for worth? It's exhausting. And so part of getting free of envy uh, is just to see that and to acknowledge actually how futile the game really is. Like, why would you fight a battle that you can't possibly win? You know, Jesus was really clear in what he said. You cling to the life that the world calls life because you're winning in the competition game. You will lose it, Jesus says. You will lose it. Those are strong words, and let's clearly hear these penetrating words of Jesus. He's saying to every man, every woman, every youth, every child, if you are going to compete for worth, you will lose. 100%. Depending on what you're looking to, to get your worth and significance and value and so on, you're gonna lose those things. You're gonna lose the the looks and the muscles, the hair, the teeth, the house, the car, possessions, the career, all the stuff that you've been striving to acquire, you'll lose it, the clothes, the friends, the athleticism, the trim waistline. You know, you came into this world with nothing. And that's exactly what you're gonna take out of this world, nothing. Why fight that? Like, why try and resist that? Like, what would you think if I said this morning that I have entered the Boston Marathon? Uh, It's uh, this year, it's April 18th, which is in about three months. And if I told you that all of my worth and all of my significance, all of my meaning, all of my value is riding on winning me winning the Boston Marathon this year. Um, if I told you that, you would probably look at me, you'd, you'd see my physique uh, and my age, and you would say, Higginson, you have 0% chance of winning the Boston Marathon, zero. Um, and you know what, you'd be right. I have zero chance of winning the Boston Marathon. I could train like crazy for three months. I could get into that race and I could run my absolute hardest. I could try as hard as I possibly can and I have 0% chance of winning it. And so if, if I'm saying to you that I'm, I'm, all of my significance and all of my purpose and all of my value is riding on me, not just participating in and not just completing, but actually winning the Boston Marathon, that that's the battle I'm choosing to fight. You'd think, dude, there's something wrong with you. Don't fight a battle you can't win. And in this competition battle, in this, you know, this mad scramble that we are in for worth, well, everybody loses. Everybody loses in that. Even those who win, lose. Even those who get the scrap of worth that they're going after, even they lose because they really can't enjoy it. They know they're gonna lose it. They know that somebody can take it. They know that somebody will eventually get more. And even when you get it, it doesn't fulfill. Everyone loses in this competition game. So why fight a battle that you can't possibly win? But there is one battle. When it's all said and done, there is one battle that you can win. Because it's a battle that's already been won. Because it's been fought by Jesus when he conquered all principalities and powers and opened the very gates of heaven so that the life and the love of God can flow into you. You'll fight that battle. That's a battle that's already been won. That's a battle that you can win. In fact, that's a battle that you can't lose. In fact, not only do you win in that battle, you more than win. Paul says in Romans 8 that in Christ you are Not just a conqueror, you're more than conquerors in Christ. And that's the life, that's the love, that's the worth, that's the significance, that's the meaning, that's the purpose that we're created to live in and created to enjoy. Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone is the only one who can fulfill it. Now, I'm not saying this morning that there's anything wrong at all with working hard. There's not a thing wrong with working hard. And many of you work really hard. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with being successful. There's nothing wrong with um, being fit. There's nothing wrong with doing well and driving a nice car and having nice things. and. You know, if you've got lots of money, be generous, fund the work of the kingdom. But the illusion is, the the mirage or the lie of the enemy is this, if you just get a little bit more, just one more rung on the ladder, just a little bit more muscle, just a little bit more money, just a little bit more net worth, just a little bit bigger portfolio, just one more morsel of worth, well, then you'll be full and it's a lie. You won't. Quit the competition game. Opt out of it. And when you do, you know, there can be a contentment there. There can be a peace there. When you opt out, when you quit the competition, there can be a peace that no morsel um, will ever give you. And Paul says it this way in Philippians chapter 4. He says, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Paul says, I've I've learned the secret. I've got the secret. And the secret is this. You can't You can't simply will yourself to be at peace in every situation by yourself. But when you come to realize that Jesus Christ is in you and Jesus Christ flows through you, well then you can do all things, you can be at peace, you can be content in every situation because you're getting your worth from Jesus and not from the world. And then you can ascribe worth to others because you're getting your worth from Christ. You can ascribe worth to others without competing uh, for worth with them because you're getting your worth from Christ. Well, uh, so we've talked about quit the competition. Point number two is this, remember what you have physically and materially. materially. I mentioned last week that our uh, culture conditions us to notice what we don't have as opposed to being thankful and appreciative for what we do have. We're conditioned to look at the 5% of the world who has more than we do, rather than to look at the 95% of the global population who has less than we do. This, uh, this graph comes from a a website called How Rich Am I? And it's basically a website that's devoted to generosity and and charitable giving and so on. But uh, basically what you do on this website is you identify what country you're from. And uh, so it takes Canadian dollars and then kind of globalizes Canadian dollars so you can see where you rank based on your income uh, as to how rich you are compared to the rest of the world this particular graph here says that if you have a household income of $36,250, and that's Canadian dollars, then you are richer than 95% of the people on planet earth. There's only 5% who have more than you do. And so we're saying that our culture conditions us to pay attention to those 5% who have more than we do, not the 95% who have less than we do. If you have a household income of $56,000 Canadian, well then you're richer than 98% of the world's population. There's 2% of the world's population who have more than you and our culture conditions you to pay attention to the 2% who have more rather than the 98% who have less. And this, you know, it creates a perpetual longing in us. It's called capitalism. It's called advertising. It's called marketing. You know, over the years, I've done my fair share of advertising. Um, And advertising is essentially this. It's it's trying to get people to spend money that they don't have on things that they don't need. And it works really, really well in a fallen world. And you know what, I'm not knocking capitalism. Um, I'm not. It creates a lot of money. It works. But follower of Jesus, don't be defined by that. Don't, uh, in the words of of Paul in Romans 12, don't, don't conform to that. Don't be conformed to that pattern of our world. Don't be addicted to the world's pattern. Instead, notice what you do have and be thankful. And if you must compare yourself with others, compare yourself with the 98% of people who have less than you do or the 95% of people who have less than you do and be thankful and be radically generous. Well, the third point we want to look at, we've talked about quit the competition. Remember what you have physically and material. And this is the most important point. Remember what you have in Christ. Remember what you have in Christ, whatever you have in the world. Um, Even if you're in the bottom 1%, uh, and 99% of the world is richer than you, if you have Christ, you are rich. I read Ephesians 1 this week uh, a few times. And uh, in there, Paul prays that we would awaken to know, to really know what the glorious inheritance is of those in Jesus Christ. In that chapter, Paul prays that our eyes would be open to have wisdom, to really see, not just the silly competition game, but to really see where our hope is, the glorious inheritance that we have in Jesus, and the immeasurable greatness of the power of Christ in us. You know, Christian, you are immeasurably rich Why would you ever want to envy the lesser morsels that anyone else has? Christian, you have a mansion of immeasurable proportions. Why are you envying somebody else's house? Christian, why be envious of somebody else's looks when you know that before God, you are the radiant bride of Christ? You are beautiful to him, beautiful beyond all comprehension. Christian, why would you ever envy somebody else's money when you've got an inheritance that can't even begin to be counted? Christian, why would you ever envy the recognition that somebody else gets when you know that that the moment that you wake up in the morning, the eye of God is on you, he sees you. You've got his attention all day long. You're the apple of his eye. Why would you care, why do you care if someone else gets recognized for something? That's a scrap, that's a morsel. You've got the feast. Christian, why would you envy somebody else's clothes when you are robed in the immeasurable righteousness of Christ? Why would you envy somebody else's success when you are crowned with glory, when you're in the one who conquered the world? And his name is Jesus. Why would you ever envy somebody else's athleticism when you know that your uh, spiritual, resurrected, glorified body will never, ever die? Why would you, in fact, envy anybody else's body at all when you know that your body is is the temple, is the living place of the Holy Spirit? that you are a walking, talking, fully decked out Solomon's temple, that God lives in you. Why would you ever envy else's, somebody else's body? Why compete for morsels when you've got the full feast, right? Why would you envy anything that anybody has when you have Jesus Christ and you're raised in him and you're seated in heavenly places in Christ? and when you're blessed with every spiritual blessing in Jesus. I mentioned um, that I've read Ephesians 1 uh, a few times this week. So do yourself a favor and read and reread Ephesians 1 this week and you'll see that we've got this glorious inheritance, this glorious riches, glorious righteousness, joy unspeakable and full of glory. Why envy somebody else's comfort when you've got the comforter himself living within you? Doesn't make sense, right? Everything that the world is competing for, everything that the world is scratching and clawing after, you have received for free as a gift. So give up on the competition game. Look at what you do have. Dwell on it, savor it, know it, and see the competition game for what it is, an illusory, unwinnable, dissatisfying, temporary competition for temporary scraps and morsels. Be at peace. Be content with what you have around you and be content with what you have in Christ. Now, I wanna be really clear. This this, uh, talk today is not some okay, let's just be content and sit on our hands and be passive kind of talk. Absolutely not. To be clear, this this in no way means that we do not have to fight for justice. We talked about this last week. Looking outside of us and looking at others who are experiencing injustice because there are systems that are preventing fairness from happening to people, and we're called to go out and to fight, uh, to fight For those who can't fight for themselves, we're called to fight for justice. We're called to fight for those and be a voice for those who don't have a voice. We're called to do that. God said in Amos, I want justice to flow like a mighty flood. We're called to do that. And I'm also not saying don't work hard, right? On the contrary, work hard. You know what, get rich. Let me confess something to you. I'm actually praying that there will be people in our congregation who will get ridiculously rich so that they can become ridiculously generous funding the work of the kingdom. But don't let those riches define you. Don't conform to the game. Die to the game. Get your worth from Jesus. Well, Let me ask you this question. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Because that's where this whole journey begins. It begins with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Have you said yes to Jesus? Have you entered into a personal relationship with Jesus as your Savior and your Lord? You can do that today. Maybe you're weary of the competition game. Maybe maybe you're empty and you know it. Will you say yes to Jesus today? Will you surrender your life to Jesus today? Here's what Jesus will do for you. He will provide you all of the worth that you are searching for, but only finding in bits and scraps. If you want to say yes to Jesus, you can do that today. You can pray along with me right now. In fact, let's bow our heads together and let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are God, the rightful owner of All I have and all I am, but I confess that I have not lived for you. I'm a sinner. I confess it. And I need your mercy, Jesus. Jesus, I believe you died for me. And so I ask you to come into my life, Jesus, to forgive my sin, to help me turn and live for you. I need your love. I need your life. Live in me and live through me. I surrender myself all my life over to you. I quit the competition game, and I want to live for you, in Jesus' name, Amen. And if you prayed that prayer, awesome. Uh, we'd love to know. You can send us a message through our website. Just uh, click the contact button and and let us know that you said yes to Jesus today. It's a little bit like saying I do in a wedding ceremony. It's just the beginning of a of a of a beautiful relationship, and we'd love to we'd love to encourage you and help you in that relationship in in Jesus, to learn to walk in Jesus and to stay free from that competition game. Well, as we, um, as we close this portion of our online service today, let's look for areas in our lives where we're envying others. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to to show us those areas in our lives, not to shame yourself, but when you see those areas where you're envious, not to shame yourself, but just to, just to put a sticky note on it that says, I get my life from Jesus. I get my worth from Jesus and not from this morsel of worth. Grab onto Jesus. Let's be outrageous lovers this week. God bless you. See you soon.